Hey everyone, co-host Topper here at the start of the episode with some small announcements. First off, this week's episode is a short one due to real life interfering with reading time. This leads nicely into our second announcement that for the next month we will be dropping episodes bi-monthly, or bi-weekly, or semi-monthly, whichever one means every two weeks, on December 23rd and January 6th. There's some religious observance that's playing hell with our scheduling. However, we will be back hard in 2024 with new bonus episodes, new guests, and better production than ever before. Thank you for listening to this stupid little hobby that's gotten wildly out of hand, and have a great winter solstice. Famed author Clive Cussler. The hero Dirk Pitt. The waitress arched her blossoming breasts over the table. Her skin displayed the smoothness of a fashion model's. Tiger absently watched her backside as she swayed into the kitchen. But she'll be concentrating on getting back to the wife and kids. Vixen 03 Episode 4. High Bread and Breakfast. And one was a Nicolas Cage movie Nicolas Cage movie called Dream Scenario? I have not heard of that one at all. It's very strange. <laughs> he does a lot of weird movies. I don't know if you've seen the Matt Damon vehicle Downsized, where he turns into a small... Uh, no, but I've heard of that. It's like that level of weird. <laughs> Excellent. We're just taking a turn off Earth norms, and then Napoleon, which is, to anyone listening, a stuff film for horses... Horses just explode. <laughs> I mean, that probably is the most accurate war depiction. Yeah, and they, the movie was on fast forward. You can't fit, even if it's 3,000 hours long, it was a long movie. It was so surface. If the movie metaphorically was a puddle, you wouldn't get your ankles wet. <laughs> wow. It was like vignette, 15 years past, then another vignette. You don't, there's no suspense building. Okay, so it's like his entire life then. Yes. Cool. If he had an American accent. <laughs> Well, of course. That's just easier. How was your week then? Exhausting, super low on sleep, but it's my youngest kid's birthday yesterday, today, tomorrow. We're just everyone's really stretched out, so we're just celebrating bits and pieces here and there. That's great. Sixteen? My youngest is sixteen. How messed up is that? That is crazy. We have almost <laughs> an adult again. I admitted at ice skating on Friday that that was impossible because that means I'm old. Yes. In America she we tried it as an as an adult, so we already have Six guns. <laughs> but no, he wants to get his, his learner's license, so we're going to start learning how to drive in northern Canada in winter, which I think is the best place to learn oh. now, because you can handle anything after that. What about, like, have they driven a tractor or... Oh, yeah. They've bombed around their grandparents' farm in a quad and a golf cart a whole bunch, okay. so they know the basics. They've got, like, the physics down. I find the kids like, who don't have any of that, like, driving a quad or driving a tractor or even, like, drag racing little rides at the carnival if they're if they don't have any act any exposure and then boom you put them behind the wheel as soon as they have a learner's permit it's way harder <laughs> yeah probably much more angst but if your kid has driven a tractor if they've driven atvs they're in a much better situation oh yeah that'll be good <laughs> oh my god i had a parent teacher conference this week yeah, though. for my son who's eight who's really like likes to be right in a technicality 
So he was <laughs> not allowed to write the word nuts anymore. Oh, he's me. Right. So he he started writing it with a Z. He's like, it's not the same word. <laughs> and, they, and then the teacher had to call me because they were um, going over different types of sports and they were going over different, like, this is a baseball, this is a basketball, this is a, a football. And every time they said the word ball, he would just burst burst out laughing. <laughs> Delightfully immature, but also the mind of a lawyer. He says the word friggin', which I think is fine. Yeah. It's not a curse word. But other parents complained, so I had to go in because of the <laughs> excessive tes- testicular talk and the word friggin'. <laughs> That's what you say when you know you're not allowed to swear. That shows an awareness that he knows there's worse words and is, and is restraining himself. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the teacher wasn't angry, but she just got complaints from other parents. And I'm like, <laughs> please stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. My oldest, he will not swear around us. Like, even when he says hell, he'll like get real quiet when he says hell. My middleist doesn't swear much. My youngest is a fucking sailor. <laughs> and that's when we're around. We're pretty sure it's worse the rest of the time. All right. Well, it's, <laughs> they say people who curse a lot are calmer. So even though it seems more adversarial, it's supposed to be a more chill person. I don't think a scientist was involved with that study, but take it anyway. <laughs> that's my only hope. It means they're well adjusted. Well adjusted. And one of them is getting a three day birthday. So, hey, they're well adjusted and well taken care of. Do you know who the actor Jim Caviezel is? Yeah. He played Jesus. All I know of that name is Jesus from The Last Temptation of Christ. He's probably been in other stuff. Yes. He was in a movie called Frequency that I really liked where it was kind of time traveling sci-fi crime genre. It's all the (laughs) genres in that movie. Oh, and he was involved with Sound of Freedom. Right. Anyway. (laughs) Yes. I think he looks like Dirk Pitt. He's tall. He's very sure of himself. He's got the dark hair. He's an asshole. <laughs> I can see that, yeah, because he's got that lean, somewhat scary, you don't want to be in a room with him alone vibe when he turns that on. He's not like whoever played Dirk Pitt in uh, Raise the Titanic, Richard something or other, who just lo- looks very fluffy. That, the 80s, people were so hairy. We just can't, every time we go back to products, media products from the 80s, it's just like, what? People needed a shave. But the, this Jim Caviezel guy, who has an interesting life because... He has been um, hit by lightning multiple times. Interesting. And supposedly he's as dumb as a doorstop. <laughs> I did say the sound of freedom guy. So yeah, and he's not a nice man. He's not. A, he's just Christian reactionary kind of kind of guy. This, he has an interesting life. I'll send you a link to a podcast that talks about how he uh, really believed he was Jesus. People have mental illness. Some people can really capitalize. Oh dear. But I thought that's our Dirk Pitt, Jim Caviezel. I like it. Head cannon accepted. Cat, you're blocking the microphone. That cat is really <laughs> front and center. That's so cute. Anytime I sit at this desk, the cat is like, okay, now it's time to snuggle and occasionally bite you. And the whole time I'm editing this podcast, she sits on my lap and then her back leg just occasionally comes up and starts smacking the space bar, <laughs> which makes That's... editing hard. Go away. My animal entertainment is the wolfhound is getting big. And every time he sees Jay, he's just at the height now. He runs into Jay and just hits him right in the crotch every time. <laughs> running every time. <laughs> like Jay's uh, laughing. Yes. And it's just like, oh my God. It's just <laughs> like when we had toddler group, when they get to that height and their dad comes home, it's just awesome. <laughs> Our dog never quite, well, she goes for the headbutts, but that's because she wants to sniff your face. So like, you bend down to pet her and she's like, oh, you're coming down. I'll go up. 
And she has headbutted so many strangers on the street, just right between the eyes, and so many kids. They like bend down to pet her and just wham, dog in the forehead. I can't be angry because she's coming up to to be happy for you. Yeah, no, she's super happy, but she's also so happy to meet people that she will knock kids over and then just kind of sit on them. And half the time it scares the crap out of them. And I'm like, no, no, she's friendly. I swear. This is just, she has no self-control. She's just owning your child now. (laughs) You belong to her. There, now we're recording. So now that we've already had an error, oh yeah, my waveforms are a lot smaller now. Huh? The hell happened there? You sound dramatically decreased in volume. Wow, that's no good. I'll fix it in post, I guess. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Custler Hustlers. I'm your host, Nancy. Over here, over there, is Topper. Say hi. Hi, everybody. Right, listeners, I'm going to tell Topper something that's going to make him anxious, because it made me anxious. We're going to have to record an ad spot. In January, I'm going to start buying commercials. Uh-oh. <laughs> for what, exactly? I'm going to buy ads for um, some mom podcasts, because they say that moms have time to read books. And that's true. We talk about lots of things. And more importantly than that, it's an ad buy. 50 bucks a month gives us like 30 ads. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have some, some things to, to do, but we have, well, yeah, we have to have like a something that makes it make sense in a small amount of time. I have to see how much time we get. We have to make an ad, yeah. Yeah, 15, 20 seconds. It'll be stressful. It'll be awkward. It'll be us. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sums it up. I think that's how we should end the ad. I still listen to our podcast. It freaks us out. The Custler Hustlers. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you started those first few episodes was you were saying you can't imagine the thought of anybody listening to this. I was like, don't worry. Nobody will. I, I won't. I will not. I'll buy advertising, but having, <laughs> having been raised Catholic and now being an atheist, I can understand two diametrically opposed facts at once. That we have a podcast and people listen to it. On the other side, I cannot face that people listen to it. So it's a secret. I apologize for sending you our Spotify wrapped up for the uh, podcast. That, that was crazy. Apparently seven countries listen to us. So if you're listening to this right now, please reach out and tell us what country you're in because we're confused and terrified. It baffled. Confused doesn't cover it. Like, baffled. But we love you. Talk to us. Tell us who you are. <laughs> oh, and I guess now we have to get to it. Chapter 26, part three. Dirk is almost back. He's he's close. We don't get Dirk the first paragraph. <laughs> Nope, we uh, we fast forward two months. It's now November of 88. And Abe Steiger is in a meeting with, I don't think these characters come back, so the chief of Air Force Safety and the aide to, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff talking about raising the Vixen 03. And they're like, no. Yeah. Every sentence he says is shot down. Every idea he has is stonewalled. They're just not hearing it. And they also furnish him with a flight manifest for the Vixen 03. Or not a manifest, a flight blog and it's revealed that those usually get discarded within two months there's no reason they would have had that and that itself is a uh, a glaring kind of clue he's basically told to shut up stop digging or you're out of the air force they say it with their eyes oh yeah it's very vibes based they're they're just staring daggers at him so it's not verbalized but it's an uncomfortable situation the room he's in this is one of those big chapters where there's a whole bunch of pov shifts because it goes from that right to the president out golfing yeah, I didn't understand the purpose of this. President doesn't like golf. He shoots a putt. Yeah. Meh. Nothing happens. And then we're off to Lauren in Congress. Well, one of his aides tells him that they found this airplane that, that Ike had covered up. 
And the president's like, well, I guess we should recover the bodies. And the aide goes, okay. And that was it. So I think that's just to say that even though the Air Force is ignoring it, the Air Force is now under the orders of the president, also going to go dig up the bodies. There's a lot of revolving doors, open doors, closed doors, that movie. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. Thank you. How many words can I put in front of doors? <laughs> but after that, Steiger and Pitt meet up and drink. Yes, because it's been a difficult morning, as Steiger says. So he needs a martini right away. Yes. Because it's 11 a.m. Airport rules in the 80s. You're fine. You're not alcoholic. You don't have a problem. You just really like the way it tastes. I get it. And then we, we cut to Lauren and Dirk. And Lauren's like, oh, you're leaving again? And she makes an allusion to she's also dating the White House press secretary. Yeah. Dirk gets a little bit here. He's like, really? That, are you serious? You'd make him a terrible wife. I love the line where he says, Phil Sawyer, he wears white shirts. That's that's the first insult that he comes up with. It's Dirk like, Pitt would never wear a white shirt. I've done nothing. How is that an insult? <laughs> it's a default. If I get... He's wearing a Paisley shirt. He's wearing a, oh, Eddie, Eddie Bauer shirt or uh, something ridiculous for a man his age. I think he's just highlighting the difference between white collar and blue collar. But considering how many racial slurs are in this book, you think they'd come up with some better insults. I admire the restraint then. I suppose. Oh, and then chapter 27, we get Machida. He's back from the before times, part two. So he <laughs> dips into part three here. He's uh, as soon as it tells this guy... The last time we we saw him, they were planning, Lucerna, him, and Jumana were planning on taking their, their spy, Emma, and robbing them of the info and not paying them off. Come on, dude, let's go do those crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go get sushi and, and not pay. So Machida is on the way to meet Emma and embark on this um, mission of stealth stealing and stabbing. Yes. <laughs> He has a razor, he has an ice pick, and he has a basket full of money. At a carnival. And they go on, I guess, the South African equivalent of, of a haunted house ride. Yeah, or, or tunnel of love, or like a... A haunted love tunnel then, because there's ghosts, there's witches, and at, one, and at one point, everything goes south, and Machida goes to stab Emma in the head and take the Wild Rose documents. The devil on the ride chops his hand out of the way, because the devil is one of Emma's men. Yes, not animatronic, actually a person. And he only stabs him in the skull with the ice pick. It's a violent person, but I think that makes it less scary than an animatronic. You're going yeah. for already person with a gun, less creepy than an animatronic. It's a push. <laughs> and we already did this once at the end of Iceberg on the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. He, he loves himself a bad guys on rides kind of scenario. Yeah. There's wacky hijinks. Everything goes dark. He, he goes for the razor, but when the lights come back on, the devil's gone, Emma's gone, the money's gone. And the Wild Rose documents he has are shit. Yeah, he gets he gets rolled. Mi yeah. The informant slash spy, Emma, saw this guy coming a mile away. Machida's walking through the scene like he's in a coma. He doesn't realize the guy that's previously held him at gunpoint is the one yeah. manning the carnival ride. That blows right past him. So he's <laughs> not the sharpest spoon in the drawer. He thinks that Emma will have no plans for this $2 million drop of top secret government documents. Ugh. And Machida really just goobers it. He's got to hang his head low with his tail between his legs and go back to Lucerna and say, oh, I got the info, but the info's crap. And the guy took the money and he's alive. Blah. I'd be terrified. But apparently Lucerna, when we get there, is kind of chill with it. I mean, that's the next chapter. That's chapter 28. Well, but before we get really in there, uh -oh. holy cow, this chapter is uncomfortable. 
Uh, yeah, then, I, I just have the note, Lusana is racist towards Africans for a bit, then, then takes responsibility. I didn't want to go into too much detail. Yeah, he's kind of, Lusana, we're back in Africa, Lusana is our, our freedom fighter, and he thinks, Lucerna himself thinks of the African mind as, this is the character speaking, an almost childlike innocence towards blame, is, is what he says. So he's uh. paternalistic, not the first guy to fall into that trap when traveling to a new place and taking over something. Oh, these simple people will be easy to conquer. They don't even understand land ownership. I, the American, will show them the way. It's on brand. <laughs> little bit. So he's like, despite losing $2 million, Lucena is kind of like, it's the cost of doing business. We'll make more money. He, as far as a uh, revolutionary leader is concerned, slash, we learn about his criminal history. It's extensive. He takes this news very well. Everyone is surprised that Machida does not get his head put on a plate. Yeah. I think it's because at the end of the last section, it was Machida who made the move to save his life from the crocodile. Oh, you're right. He earned some goodwill, but he just burned it up. So now he can die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to make it to the end. Actually, we've had a lot of time with him. I bet he makes it to the end of the book. We'll see. We will see. But he's getting a bit more personality than everyone else. Well, it's not a great personality, B. He does have one. There's some. He's one and a half dimensional. That's He's not drunk enough for the 80s. He's not fitting in. <laughs> and that brings us to chapter 29, where Congressman, is it Congressman or Senator Daggett is in the office of uh, Congressman Lauren, who's Dirk Pitt's on-again, off-again girlfriend. Yes. And he tries to strong-arm her into going for his cause, which is to support Lucerna in Africa, throw aid his way. He's in her office smoking a cigar and mad that she voted down his proposal. And then he's like, if you don't do this, there's going to be race riots in the street. So he's threatening her with possible race riots in Colorado? <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, he just says that all the black voters in Colorado would never vote for her again. In the 80s. That was like one guy. Like, Rick, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> and they once again bring up, I thought Lusana was a communist. Oh, not at all. Really have to drive home, you know, he's too too smart to be a communist. We're really obsessed with communists. I had, my teachers at the Catholic school still did the, the drills where you'd have to get under the table. We were always told <laughs> about how Russian kids were suffering all the time. Uh, it was ever-present. I miss the movie Ruskies. That was fun. That, <laughs> at least that came out of it. But it made a certain age group really afraid of communism forever. You can't even... Yeah. I'm afraid of my sewer backing up, but I can read, you know, su the word sewage problem without being triggered into a panic attack. Some people can't read the word communism without like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Lauren in this chapter is painted as about as far left as you could be in the late 70s, early 80s. Because she is explicitly anti-interventionist. She doesn't believe that America sh should be funding wars anywhere in the world. And that just makes Daggett super mad. Yes, and she gave him a she gave him the cigar that he's chomping on. So that just seems <laughs> impolite. She's not threatened by his behavior, though. He leans over, he tries to, like, strong arm her in a big man kind <laughs> of way. Like, lean over the desk, hover. And she laughs at him. She's not buying it. And so he throws a tantrum and drops his lit cigar on her carpet on the way out the door, which is always a sign that you've won the day. Oh, absolutely. Little childish. And then he goes to talk to his girlfriend waiting in the car, and it's really disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> he calls her a foul-mouthed white bitch, and then they drop a lot of end bones. Well, two, but that's still too many. Yes. He, well, he was speaking of Lauren when he said foul-mouthed white bitch. Yes. But he does tell his girlfriend, Felicia, I was not a, a do-nothing. She's not a 
a no-getter. She's a go-getter. She she sings. She dances. She's famous in multiple fields. And she's at the peak of her fame. But he tells his girlfriend, don't worry. Nothing will happen that will leave any scars. And she stays in the car. She uh, she said He says that to her. And then she sighs and goes to herself, I don't believe him. And stays. Does the audiobook <laughs> and the paper book have some slight differences? Maybe. My notes for the end of, of chapter 29 is like, he's mad at, at Lauren. And Felicia calms him down and says that, you know, she was in high school with Lauren. They used to be friends. Do you want me to talk to her? Oh, yeah. And they make the plan that Felicia's going to dig up dirt on Lauren. But Felicia does not want to dig up dirt on her. Uh. She's like, that's my friend. I'm not doing that. So he keeps pressing and pressing. There's got to be a scandal. We'll create a scandal for Lauren so I can get my way and get my funding. But the very last <laughs> paragraph, which... And it's the most 80s scandal they come up with, which is great. I love that part. But yes. I know. I uh, a congresswoman might be having dates and premarital <gasps> sex. Ooh. It would ruin her career, naturally, but it is ridiculous. Both can be true. Yes. But I get the voice actor not wanting to say certain things. So, hey everyone, we just had a little kerfuffle with the audio. We're back now. Nice to be here with you. And we're going to careen right now into chapter 30. Yes. We find out Dirk has a friend. He works in the FBI, but I'm glad he's got a friend. Dirk has a friend, and I think for the first time in four books, we see Dirk just doing his day job as the special projects director. You're absolutely right, and he can't wait to get out of doing that. Oh, God, he's so pissed to be there. <laughs> but they're raising an ironclad, the sister ship of the Monitor called the Shinego, and he doesn't want to be there. And the whole time he's thinking about, how would I raise an airplane? And we get the call from Paul Buckner, the FBI agent. Yes, and Paul Buckner... I guess Dirk sent him some scans of the, the papers they found underwater. And using FBI, FBI technology, his friend says, we've made out an R in the fifth column. So we've deduced through several several means that it's an admiral, not a Navy person that signed these orders. An admiral signed the orders for Vixen Oshery. Yeah, an admiral, not a general. And Pitt realizes, and like, it says Pitt realizes like a punch to the stomach that the airplane was carrying naval hardware, not army hardware, but I don't really think it was that, you know, shocking. Like, oh, it's an admiral. Okay, keep talking. But Pitt is floored. Sentimental reasons, perhaps? But they find out that it was Admiral Walter Bass, who was a whiz kid. He was like a very young general, sorry, a very young admiral, I'm doing it now, who was on like a fast track for the Joint Chief of Staff. But he must have fucked something up because shortly after, in 1955, he got put in charge of a boondock in the Indian Ocean. Then he retired. Yes. And he retired to a uh, to Virginia where Dirk's heading next because who cares about his day job? We're going to just ditch that. Tells the next to command cover for me. And he's off to Virginia on Eastern Airlines, which I think I flew when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. And we get several chapters of uh, Dirk at this inn that Admiral Bass owns. Speaking as an amateur, these are pretty well-written chapters. I think Clive had way too much fun writing this section. He did. And it, it's very, um, he goes to this bed and breakfast and it's very naturey and pastoral and Dirk is taking it in and it's almost like a poem. He's, he's seeing sunshine, he's seeing birds on trees. <laughs> sunshine, birds on trees, and a young, high-bred woman opening the door for him when he gets there. Oh, I forgot completely about the young, high-bred woman. <laughs> high-bred, not hybrid. She doesn't run like gas and electric. That's not flushed out. But she's like a supermodel. We don't know if that's a plot point. Maybe she's eco. Maybe she runs on H. Who knows? Put it in H! 
fairly well fleshed out. They talk about her ass like three separate times. Yes, but in a literary way, so it was classy. Sounds classy. Ah, uh-huh. okay, okay. <laughs> literary, that's important. So Dirk flies to Virginia. No, Once again, no reservations. He's going to a bed and breakfast. So he's assuming I'll get a room, and he does because he's Dirk. But this guy's really always sure of his lodgings. <laughs> he never has to sleep, so it's not like if he doesn't get a room, anything bad will happen. Yes, and then unless he's bludgeoned, and then he'll just fall into darkness on the street and recover later. He won't get bludgeoned. He's somewhere nice. And so Dirk meets the former admiral, who's just in his 70s now, and he's clearing out some weeds from a pond. And Dirk goes right up to this guy without much of a how do you do, and he's like, uh, what do you know about Vixen 03? And this admiral... Nothing. It's like, he tenses up, his his knuckles turn white as he's raking the leaves out of the pond. He throws some leaves at Dirk. Granted, that's fair. Absolutely fair. <laughs> this guy just came up talking to you while you're gardening. You can throw weeds at him. Natural reaction. And Dirk is uh, trying to massage information out of the admiral. Yeah, he's not having much luck. He's like, what about a man named Vylander? And Bass says no. And Dirk's like, oh, well, maybe the mystery will be all cleared up when I raise the Vixen 03. And then he leaves. Yes. Freaking this guy out. That That's it for that chapter. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the next chapter is a, a, a doozy, though. I got like almost a full page. That is. I'll let you cover that one because I didn't get to that chapter, sadly, because my kids are um, clingy. All right. <laughs> I love them. So is that as far as we're getting this week? For future people, you're fine, kids. You're fine. <laughs> I just had to see so many movies. Is this as far as we're getting this week? Yeah, let's, let's stop here. All right. Unless you want to go through your page. Man... I was going to say, like, at this rate, th- this is going to be a nine or ten episodes for this book. I had high hopes when the book started off so slow, and I was like, ah, finally, we can get back down into a sensible number of episodes, but no, this is going to get ridiculous. Well- I mean, a lot happens in, chap- in chapter 32. I want you to, okay. you know, I, be there for that. I married my husband because he's a tactron guy. Like, he is quiet. Something about saying I do, whenever I'm reading anything, it could be- a family member's obituary. It could be a book I need to read for a class to pass. He's allergic to me reading. So I'm going to blame him. He's like, well, we should fix the roof now. Then we're on the roof. Hey, what you <laughs> reading for? I was going to say, in some ways, that's exactly like me and my wife. And in some ways, that's exactly the opposite. Because she married me because I'm assuming I'm super quiet and will do whatever she says. But also, if I sit down to do some writing, that's when I have to fix the roof. I didn't think you'd be a, a brother in the war against reading with me. They're, they're attacking us at all turns. <laughs> yeah. We just want to get hooked on phonics. We don't want to go to the, into the street to get hooked on phonics. Well, I guess that this is going to be a short episode then. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Next time, do you want to just power through the rest of the book? We'll do a mega episode? Well, no. Like, that would be way too much. That would be like a three-hour episode. Like, I'm happy with doing a one-hour uh, record and seeing how far we get. Oh, okay. So it'll take as many episodes as it takes, but you have to get through to, to chapter 39 for next time. Okay. Because stuff gets wacky. In a, in a dark pit novel, you don't say. <laughs> well, happy birthday to your child, and may they go forth knowing that they... We're born in a week that Henry Kissinger died. Yay. And tell him all about <laughs> Cambodia. Yay. My kids were surprisingly knowledgeable about why they should hate Henry Kissinger. I love that. That is fantastic. You raised them well. <laughs> that is great parenting. It really He's is. It's very big on It's a grim subject. Some people yeah. would just ignore it because it doesn't get <laughs> happy ever. Uh, Henry Kissinger had the first ever six-parter on Behind the Bastards. And he was finding out more stuff while he was like in between episodes three and four. 
uh, Robert Evans found out more stuff that he couldn't put in. There's a lot there. I just love that the only person, when I was a kid, growing up, when we'd watch the news, it was Peter Jennings. That was our Walter Cronkite. Yes. And so Peter Jennings was the only one to ever go up to Kissinger in a polite society way and be like, you're an asshole. I can't believe people will sit down to eat with you. You should be in jail. Mm-hmm. They were at some awards dinner, I think, and and that came up. I saw uh, that quote all over Twitter this week. Oh, okay. He dated a. He was on a date with Barbara Walters. Oh, Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Yeah, that track. Yes, it does. Complex one, that Barbara Walters. Complex. <laughs> I'll let you go. I'll see you next week. Bye. See you next week. Bye. This has been Custler Hustlers. Your hosts have been Topper and Nancy. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kussler Hustlers.